when I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, visit betterhelp.com slash stuff today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash stuff. In business, first impressions are everything. And that's why every business owner needs to know about Ruby. Ruby is the virtual receptionist company who screens, transfers, and takes messages 24-7, all while making your customers feel special. You definitely don't want to hire a subpar front desk person. And with Ruby, they engage with your callers in a conversational way, just like your best employee would. Never miss another customer call again. This year, make your business the best it can be. Visit ruby.com today or just call them at 844-900-RUBY. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to The Simpsons. I mean, the podcast. Uh, I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Jerry over there. And this is Chuck, episode 999. Yeah. Well, you know how I think of this? I think of it as 1,000. <laughs> Just a big, fat 1,000 that had to leak onto two days. <laughs> it le- It actually leaked back in time. How amazing is that? Yeah, because we have to do a two-parter because <laughs> upon looking at this research and this topic, very special topic for us for this show, mm-hmm. we realized it had to be a two-parter. And rather than do 1,000, 1,001, what kind of person would do that? An unwholesome person. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is episode 999. In your view, it's it's really just part of episode 1,000. I'm with you on that. Yes. Can you believe that? I, you know what, Chuck, up until today, I could totally believe it. But the, the fact that we're doing The Simpsons for our thousandth episode, it just, it drove everything home. Like all the gear teeth fell right into place and now the gears are spinning in sync and I can feel it and I'm amazed. Yeah. So, uh, we just wanted to acknowledge the 1000 here up front. And I think frankly, we're doing that because we're both so excited mm-hmm. about doing this. Uh, I think I should tell people what you emailed earlier. We were furiously sending links back and forth <laughs> this week. And you said, uh, I don't even want to record. I just want to keep researching The Simpsons forever. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, man. Last night, Chuck, I was sitting there watching Simpsons episodes. Oh, yeah. And I thought... Well, this is the pinnacle of my career. I am literally being paid to watch <laughs> The Simpsons. Yeah, and we just had to stop. Like, we could have done this for weeks and researched, and this could be uh, uh, an entire podcast into itself with yep. a thousand episodes. Well, maybe not a thousand. Uh, close to <laughs> it. Let's say 998. But at some point we had to stop. So uh, just know, if we didn't cover your favorite thing... From the show that's been on for 30 years. Or or if we're not <laughs> referring to episodes under their specific naming convention. Yeah. 
calm down. Yeah, it's just impossible. So we're going to do our best here to talk about some of our favorite stuff and a little bit about how the show works. But uh, here we go, right? Oh, man. Let's do it. <laughs> this is like an actual intro. Yes. <laughs> that was an actual response. Uh-huh. So, Chuck. Yes. Have you ever seen The Simpsons? <laughs> I have, sir. Uh, you caught it back from the beginning. Like, that was right in our wheelhouse. Maybe even yours a little more than mine. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, let's, we should go ahead and just talk for a moment about episode one. Yeah. Because I have a very distinct memory, which is I'm in high school. It's my okay. senior year. All right. Nice. Chris Booten, my friend and future roommate in college, calls me Boots. Booten. <laughs> and he says, dude, have you, and I have to admit, I did not see the Tracy Ullman shorts. So let's get that out of the way right now. They were bizarre. Yeah. And this is, that's where the show began, as most people know, as mm-hmm. little short animated bits in the Tracy Ullman show. Uh, but Chris Booten calls me up and says, man, I'm coming over. I'm meeting you in the basement. Open the back door. I have a VHS of this show called The Simpsons. You got to <laughs> see it. And he met me over there. It was winter. It was uh, December. Well, it aired on uh, the 17th, on the 17th. But I have a feeling this was the next day, probably. Mm-hmm. And uh, Booten came over and we watched the very first episode, which was Santa's Little Helper. And we cried tears of joy and laughter. And my life went on a different course. Yeah. I, I, Boots did not visit my house personally with the video. We didn't call him Boots, by the video, way. Cause, well, I'm calling him Boots. That's okay. his new nickname. Boots. That's classic Boots, by the way. Yeah. To show up in the basement. Oh, yeah. Um, but he, uh, he did not come to my house, but I did see that one and I think I saw it when it aired, actually. Uh-huh. And I, I remember watching the Tracy Ullman shorts too and just being like, what the hell is this? Yeah. But then by the time, I think it, the Tracy Ullman show, and we'll get a little more into it, that one started in 87, um, and the actual show started in 89. So between those two points, they really, like, it really started to come together to where that first episode where Homer finds out he's not getting a Christmas bonus. Yeah. So he gets a job secretly as a mall Santa and ends up taking his check to the dog track and mm-hmm. betting it all and losing it all. On Santa's little helper, which was the dog. Right. But then he ends up with Santa's little helper. So he gets what he was after all along, which is a great Christmas present for his family. Right. What a beautiful episode, right? Yeah. And interestingly, that first episode was really the eighth one to be made. But they ran that one first. So uh, there were there were some weird differences like the show actually uh, originally, I think Matt Groening wa- thought it would be redrawn a little more uh, slickly, uh, but they just <laughs> traced over his original drawing. So the animation was fairly crude in this episode. And then you'll notice in episode two, it actually looks a little bit better. OK. Um, and, you know, The Simpsons still looks like The Simpsons. But th- that early episode and kind of the whole first season was a little more crude. Sure. Uh, in drawing and voice. Uh, and the pilot was the only episode missing that very famous opening sequence, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Oh, yeah. Wasn't it like a cold opening or something like that? On I that? can't remember exactly how, but it didn't feature the iconic uh, opening that we all know and love today. Gotcha. Um, so where shall we start, Chuck? I mean, I guess we kind of just did start. Yeah. And I think I already made a mistake. <laughs> About what? Well, Santa's Little Helper wasn't the name of the episode. It was Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire. 
Yeah. So, but I mean, come on, that's the one that you were you were talking about, you know? Yeah, but I'm just I know that like probably I about know. 25,000 people just slam their laptop shut. But that's what I'm saying. Everybody chill out. <laughs> that's not what this episode is about. We're not trying to show you how little you know. <laughs> that's right. Uh Ed the Grabster Grabanowski wrote this article. Actually, this one was written by Uned Grabanowski if you ask me. Why did he say that? Because it was it, it wasn't like five times as long as it should have been. No, I can't remember who who calls himself that for every Treehouse of Horror. But there's somebody oh. named Ed, and they call <laughs> themselves Uned. So I thought that was probably. Man. I'm really surprised he didn't actually get that as his byline for this That's one. That's a nice Easter egg there, my friend. Yeah. Uh, and then we did just. I mean, so much supplementary information. It's sort of ridiculous. Yeah, but this is like a special request from us, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. We said, go forth, Grabster, and write the well. <laughs> write the, oh, okay. Write there the were, well. There were two E's in that, the. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should have noticed by the flourish of your hand what you were saying. <laughs> All right, so let's go back to uh, Simpsons creator, uh, one Mr. Matt Groening, and uh, we have actually met him, and we will talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, we will. Life highlight, for sure. Sure. Uh, but he had a comic strip called Life in Hell. And I think the original conceit uh, to pitch to producer James L. Brooks in 1987 was a, a cartoon version of that. Ed writes in here, he thought it would be a failure, but I read that he wasn't too keen on signing away sort of uh, the thing he had worked on all his life. So he changed his mind at the last minute and thought of The Simpsons. That's awesome. That sounds, the second one sounds much more like Matt Groening for sure. Yeah. And he had, he had no idea that would make him a super rich gazillionaire either. But if you if you um, know that story, the fact that The Simpsons started out on Tracy Ullman makes sense because James Brooks, who himself is a pretty like bona fide cool guy, right? He created sure. the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Oh yeah, Legend. he wrote and directed Terms of Endearment. Yeah, um, he produced Bottle Rocket. Um, yeah, you could say he has an eye for amazing things for sure. So he had come across this Life in Hell strip and and wanted to basically turn it into animated shorts for the Tracy Ullman show, but then Graining swapped it out at the at the pitch meeting and said, "Let's do this instead." But I think either way, he came up with the characters and the idea fairly on the fly, right? Yeah, I mean, it obviously, wasn't like while he was waiting outside of the pitch meeting, but uh, what he came up with, and if you haven't seen The Simpsons. Maybe you should go watch an episode or two, uh, crawl out from under the rock that you're, that you <laughs> <Really>? live under <laughs> and go watch one. But, uh, obviously we should at least say what it is. And it is a sort of a traditional sitcom about, um, and it follows the sitcom conventions in many ways of a family, uh, living together under a roof mm-hmm. who encounter fun hijinks along the way. Yeah, and um, that's kind of the subtext for the whole, or the pretext, I should say, for the whole series, right? Yeah. It's, like, it's a sitcom. It's a family sitcom. Yep. But there's a couple of big differences with it, right? There, um, it's animated, which is huge, because it's a, it was a pri- it became in 1989 a primetime animated series, and it was the first one since I think 1972, where wait till your father, 1974, where wait till your father gets home. Went off the air. Did you ever see that show? No. It was like a proto family guy, basically. Oh, interesting. Um, from the early seventies. And it was actually super entertaining. And then before that, of course, there was the Flintstones, but those were like the two big primetime animated series before the Simpsons. But there's a good, you know, 20 something 
30-something year lull in between those and The Simpsons. So that was a, a big difference in and of itself. Well, it, it's easy to take for granted now with the advent of like Cartoon Network and Adult Swim and right. Family Guy and Futurama, which also from Graining. Yeah, I mean, there's just an explosion of animation, right? Yeah. You've got, you know, starting back with Beavis and Butthead. That was a descendant of The Simpsons. And then, of course, you've got King of the Hill, uh, South Park. Um, Today, you've got Rick and Morty. Have you seen Rick and Morty? I haven't yet. Everyone, I'm remiss. It is everyone has said it's the greatest. It is. It's the greatest. And man, it's one of those, it's under the same thing that The Simpsons was initially taken for, where, you know, there's a lot of belching. So people are like, this is lowbrow. It's like, no, look past it to what they're actually doing. It's insanely smart and, and really entertaining too. Like it's, um, it's laugh out loud funny in a lot of parts. I think we've kind of proven that we can be smart and still make fart jokes. Sure. And, and Rick and Morty's doing the same thing. And by the way, um, you know, they listen to us, right? Rick and Morty? Yeah. Remember they sent us that science book and it had was a that flask. Them? That was the Rick and Morty people. No way. Yeah. So wow. thanks again for that, guys. That's a, a treasured possession. Holy sure. cow. Well, I'm definitely watching now. <laughs> All the adult, quote unquote, uh, cartoons that we see, but it was revolutionary at the time. I mean, Flintstones aside, like you said, it had been a long time and it was, it quite literally, leveled the TV industry because it was such a smash hit right out of the gate. That's right. Yeah, no, it was huge, right? Um, and it, a lot of things came together for it. Um, the fact that that James L. Brooks got in touch with Matt Groening, that was a bit of a fluke because he got in touch with him for a different reason, but also because it was uh, a show on Fox, and Fox was just starting out as a network, and they were looking to make waves. So at the time, you had... Basically, so here's what The Simpsons were up against in 1989, family sitcom-wise. You ready for this? Um, My Two Dads, Major Dad, (laughs) Mr. Belvedere, Who's the Boss, Hogan Family, Mm. Family Matters, Growing Pains, (laughs) The Cosby Show, Full House. Uh And, like, that was what family sitcoms or TV sitcoms in general were at the time. And you had Roseanne. Roseanne had been on for a couple of years already, and it had shaken things up some. Yeah, that pushed the envelope a bit, for sure. For sure. But for the most part, like, this was, America was this um, clean and tidy, wholesome place where everything was just peachy keen, and all the problems that a family encountered were about as superficial as you could possibly come across. And this was the other big thing about The Simpsons, and it, it actually went really well at least superficially with married with children yeah which was that family wholesome sitcom spun onto its very gritty dirty underbelly right yeah uh the simpsons was initially compared to that same kind of thing cuz they were both on fox and they both like kind of took the family sitcom and turned it on its head but it took a minute but not too long for people to start noticing oh wait actually this is really subversive satire yeah. and that was the big thing that that i think initially gave the simpsons its 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 base for to keep going for 30 seasons yeah i mean i remember when fox first came out and it was like that what there's a fourth tv channel i know it was a big deal <laughs> it was a big deal and their thing from the beginning was you know we're going to be edgy we're going to be different this is this is not your mom and dad's TV, right? And uh, like you said, Mary with Children and The Simpsons firmly put them uh, on a different track. Uh, 
And it was funny when you were just going through all those shows, like they, they were no more edgy than T- since TV's inception. I mean, it might, it might as well have been, well, maybe a little more edgy than like Beaver Cleaver and Ozzy and Harriet, but not too far off for the most part. TV was kind of the same yeah. for decades yep, when it absolutely. came to family sitcoms. Yeah. So the Simpsons was just, uh, it, it, this is not overstating it. It was a cultural revolution in every way. It definitely was. And it, it took up like this already kind of nascent revolution and from Roseanne and from Married with Children. But it was different, man. It was like, it was, it was its own thing and still is today. Oh yeah. And again, like you were saying, it's easy to look back and be like, well, yeah, I mean, animated, really smart, subversive, satirical shows, like they're, they're a dime a dozen is a, a weird way to put it, but it's true. Like they're all over the place now. That's because the Simpsons came along. It's as simple as that. Yeah. So the early episodes, um, in the, in the first couple of seasons, Bart Simpson, uh, was sort of the star of the show as far as pop culture goes. I mean, he was front and center. He was on every T-shirt. Every kid was saying, eat my shorts. Every kid was talking back to their teachers more. <laughs> yeah. And it, it created quite a ruckus in schools. I know that some of the T-shirts were banned uh, in certain school districts. Yeah, the underachiever and proud of it, man. Yeah. That one was banned. And I think uh, I'm Bart Simpson. Who the hell are you? <laughs> Yeah, but it wasn't long before it became pretty clear that it was an ensemble show for one mm-hmm. and sort of Homer's show, let's be honest. Yeah, it, it ultimately ended up that way in large part. He he became the central character, didn't he? Yeah, I, I would say easily. Uh, but then, I mean, we'll go through a lot of these characters, if not all of them, because we don't have time to read like 500 people's names. Right. But uh, it ended up being like a memorial or something. I know. But the Simpsons side characters and the guest characters have become just as beloved as uh, as the family of, of course, uh, Homer and Marge and Lisa and Bart and little Maggie. Absolutely. You want to take our first break? Yeah. Yeah. Let's. We're so excited. Let's go ahead and take a break real quick and calm down. Woot. LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids, because let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Burning stuff with Joshua and Charles. Stuff you should know. All right, we're back, Chuck. So the uh, the earliest clips of The Simpsons were animated uh, by a different studio than they use now and have used for many years. It's called Klasky 
uh, Suppo or Kupo? Uh, Zupo? <laughs> C-S-U-P-O. I'm not sure how they pronounced it. Uh, but they were all, of course, based on Matt Groening's original sketches uh, that had these yellow-skinned characters, very bright primary color palette. Right. Uh, and it became a little more refined over the years, as we said, but it's um, it, it never approached like a, a slick-looking animation by any means. No, no, the earliest stuff, definitely not. And they were with, I think it's Klasky Zupo. I'm not yeah. sure, but they were with them for two years. And, and despite the stuff being really rough and like kind of hard to watch, even if you, if you look at it now, um, they gave the Simpsons like their yellow skin, Marge's blue hair. And supposedly Matt Groening, um, when he saw the yellow skin tone palette for the Simpsons, uh, skin colors, he was like, that is perfect. Like when somebody's like clicking through the channels real quick, their eye is going to is going to catch that and they're going to stop because the Simpsons are on and they're going to watch it. So apparently that's where the yellow came from. It was kind of a fluke, but they went with it just because it was so catchy. That's a great idea. But then after I think two years, they moved over to something called Film Roman or Film Roman. I've never heard it actually said out loud. But they they were the ones who starting at I think season two or three really gave the Simpsons its defined look Yeah, that stayed for years and years and years. Yeah, I remember Homer's voice uh, early on sounded a little <laughs> bit different, too. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, same guy. It was Dan uh, Castellaneta, but mm-hmm. just uh, was not the same Homer's voice that we know and love today. No, it was much gruffer. Plus, mm-hmm. his dialogue, too, was way more. I mean, it really was much more about Bart. And Homer was way angrier. Yeah, for sure. And, like, he strangled Bart at, like, the drop of a hat. <laughs> he did that a lot. That was, like, a go-to gag. So this the show is still really smart compared to who's the boss. Yeah. But compared to, you know, later seasons of The Simpsons, it, it was really just, it's rough by comparison for sure. Don't knock who's the boss too much, though. I mean, it's fine. It's a fine show, but man, it wasn't smart satire. You put a you put a "Who's the Boss" episode up against like a season seven episode of The Simpsons. Yeah. Who's the boss is not going to win that one. Yeah, they're not the boss. I mean, like even Tony Danza will tell you that. <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit about the main cast and the crew uh, in those early years. Um, of course, Matt Groening was around from the beginning, and James L. Brooks, of course. Uh, then there was a man. Uh, the dearly departed Sam Simon, uh, who's an EP on the show mm-hmm. from the early days, uh, and the great Al Jean has been the showrunner since the 13th season. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure he was around before that, right? I didn't exactly look at when he joined up. I believe he was an early producer as well. Okay. But eventually rose to showrunner. Uh, Bill Oakley, Josh Weinstein, and Mike Scully uh, ran the show previous to that uh, during the first 12 seasons. Mm-hmm. We cannot list all the writers. It would be impossible no, but some some made some pretty huge uh, contributions. Yeah, like George Meyer and John uh, Schwartzwelder yeah. are generally given credit to kind of defining who these characters were from the early days. Yeah, the worldview, the jokes they would make. Yeah. The fact that, and this is another huge thing that we take for granted today that The Simpsons really established was referential humor. Yeah. 
like making making fun of um you know film literature trends whatever not necessarily part of the plot but just part of a joke maybe or something like that or an additional little layer just to make the whole the whole idea that was being put across that much more palatable they really kind of blew that out and that was thanks to that early brain trust you just mentioned of people who established the show for for what it's what it was yeah i mean it was a blueprint and uh everyone that that came along afterward sort of had their show bible uh thanks to these people yes you know which if you look up show bible there's a there's one episode that just screws up any google search for that there was the Simpsons Bible Stories episode, oh, yeah. which was a stinker anyway. <laughs> but it sucks because now you can't find any examples of the show Bible, right. which must exist somewhere. I don't know if you could find that online. You can find the style guide examples online, though. Yeah. For sure. Uh, and, of course, we've got to mention Conan O'Brien because he very famously worked for a couple of years on The Simpsons. Yeah. I think it's credited with four or five episodes uh, including one of the all-time classics, uh, Marge versus the Monorail. <laughs> so good. Which Conan is, still talks about that being one of his great career achievements is writing that episode. I can imagine because not only was it a great episode, but you got to write and then Phil Hartman brought your stuff to life. Oh, man. Like that was a big one. That All right. A- well, speaking of Phil Hartman, let's start talking about the cast. Okay. Because this is going to, this is going to take a little while. <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. So, so there's, hundreds of characters in the Simpsons universe. But really, a lot of them, a lot of them boil down to the voices of just six people. Right? Yeah. So um, two of them focus almost exclusively on just one character each. Julie Kavner does Marge, but then she also obviously does Marge's sisters, Patty and Selma, and her mom, Jacqueline, in one episode. Yeah, the Bouviers. Yeah. And then Yeardley Smith does just Lisa for the for the show. Yeah, and she's the only one that does a single voice. Um, Dan Castellaneta obviously does Homer. He also does Grandpa Abe. <laughs> it's hard to not laugh just thinking of each one of these characters. I know. You know? I kept laughing out loud <laughs> researching this stuff, or at the very least chuckling to myself. You know. Oh yeah, Strickland in the office today was like, I got to ask what the heck is going on over there. And it's mm-hmm. like we're doing an episode of The Simpsons. Leave me alone. He was like, what? Uh, Castellina also does, uh, Barney Gumble, uh, Krusty the Clown, Groundskeeper Willie, Mayor Quimby, man, so great. Yeah. Uh, Hans Mole Man, <laughs> <laughs> Sideshow Mel, uh, yeah. Itchy, Kodos, Gil, Poochie, uh, the Squeaky Voice Teen, uh, Mr. Burns' Lawyer, uh, Krusty's Monkey, Mr. Teeny, mm-hmm. and he did, uh, Bill Clinton. A great Bill Clinton team. Yeah. Real no fooling pigs. <laughs> uh, what about Nancy Cartwright? The great Nancy Cartwright. So she does Bart. That's what she's best known for. But she does some other voices of um, some other prepubescent uh, <laughs> characters like Ralph Wiggum, one oh, of the great man. all-time voices ever. Great. Um, Todd Flanders. Great. Nelson Muntz has a great one. Uh-huh. Kearney, the, uh, the bald-headed or shaved-headed bully. Yeah. And um, Database. Don't know who Database was. I think Database is more recent. And this is probably where I should say that I haven't seen The Simpsons in a few years. I dabbled a little bit a couple of years ago, and I was like, this is this is not bad. And then, you know, it was kind of hit or miss, definitely compared to, to years ago. But I'm not yeah. going to hate on anything that's going on today. It's still The Simpsons, you know. Of course. Uh, the great, 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 great Hank Azaria, uh, one of the fantastic additional cast members. 
Uh, well, I say additional because he's not one of the Simpsons, but he's a primary cast member. Sure. Uh, he voices Apu. Uh, do you want to try and say Apu's last name? Apu Nahasapima Pedalon. <laughs> uh, and by the way, we should mention Apu has taken a lot of heat in recent years for uh, the very least being a, an ethnic stereotype. Sure. And uh, some say straight up racist. Uh, and there is a documentary airing, uh, I believe, on True TV next month uh, called The Problem with Apu from uh, a comedian I really love, uh, Hari Kondabolu. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you should watch it and sort of think of Apu a little bit through uh, through Hari's lens or the lens of an Indian person. So, um, Well, you know, this is not the first time that The Simpsons have been called to task for offending a group. Oh, sure. A, an entire group or race or country. Yeah. Like, it's it's definitely happened over the course of this the 30 seasons that's yeah. been going on. Um Sometimes they apologize. Sometimes they acknowledge it. Other times they're just like, whatever. No, for sure. Um, so going on with Hank Azaria, besides Apu, uh, Mo Sislak, one of the great characters. Yeah. Uh, Chief Wiggum. I mean, these are all great. A uh, comic book guy who, by the way, has a real name, Jeff Albertson. Yeah. Never knew that. I can't remember where that one came from, but yeah. Uh, Carl, a beloved, beloved friend of Homer's. Yeah. From the bar. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Nick. Hi, frozen body. <laughs> Remember, he lines. went to the Tijuana Upstairs Medical Clinic. <laughs> <laughs> That's where he graduated from. Uh, Captain McAllister, uh, Superintendent Chalmers. And, of course, when I think of Chalmers, all I can think of is, uh, I can't remember the episode title, but the one with uh, with Skinner and the uh, steamed hams. I think that was like the 22 <laughs> episodes about Springfield one. Oh man, that's such a great one. 22 short films. I was never into that one. I loved it. And I I had no idea, but apparently it's a reference to there was a documentary or It was a movie. Okay, a movie, 22 short films about Glenn Gould. Yeah, love that movie. Okay, I'd never even heard of it. Yeah. And and this raises a really good point that I'd like to make here, Chuck, if you'll indulge me for a second. Sure. One of the things that The Simpsons did for me, and I suspected for a lot of other people, is that it pointed me in the direction of culture. Oh, yeah. Like, it it cultured me. It mm-hmm. enculturated me. I'm not sure what the word is. The Simpsons never taught me. But the, 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 just the little signposts that they, they, they point to through the references they make that you don't get, but then you find out about later what they were actually talking about. It might lead you to go see that movie or read that book or just have a yeah. better understanding of the world than you did before. It's like backwards reference. Yeah. I mean, some of them are so subtle too. Like there isn't a human alive that picks up on all the culture references that The Simpsons throws out week to week. Right. You know, whether it's, uh, something like you were just talking about, or whether it's just simply like in a show title, uh, like don't have to live like a referee, little things like that. They're just <laughs> nuggets all over the place. Yeah. Uh, continuing with Mr. Azaria, Professor Frank Cletus, the slack jawed yokel, mm-hmm. who we'll get to a little bit more. Some of those, his children's names, uh, we, we have some good stuff coming up. So yeah, I love Cletus. So get off the dang roof. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Bumblebee Man, Snake, yeah. uh, Kirk Van Houten. Man, uh, that that divorce episode <laughs> was one of the best. Yeah. Can uh, I borrow a feeling? <laughs> uh, Dredrick Tatum and uh, Pyro, also known as Chase. That was from that episode, too, I think. Yeah, what, I think so. Wasn't that the American Gladiator that, that uh, oh, Milhouse's right. mom dates? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. 
Who oh, else, man. Chuck? Uh, well, that's that's it. I think these may not be complete lists from Harry Shearer. Um, no oh, way. I'm sorry, from uh, Hank Azaria, but Harry Shearer is next. Do you want to tackle some of these? He does Mr. Burns and Mr. Smithers. Yes. Which is it's great to, to basically take those two halves of a whole. Yeah. And be able to fill them out like that. Yeah, and by the way, Burns was in the very first episode, and uh, Smithers is heard over the intercom, but not seen in that episode one. Ooh, that's a bit of trivia. But he can put in their pipe and smoke. (laughs) Uh, Ned Flanders, Principal Skinner, Reverend Lovejoy's great. Great. Doctor Hibbert, that laugh. (laughs) He's got a laugh that almost rivals yours, Chuck, (laughs) in awesomeness. Uh, Kent Brockman, great. Scratchy. I don't know who does Itchy, do you? I don't know. I kind of figured he did both. You'd think so, but. Yeah. I'm not somebody sure will that. write in to let us know. Yeah. Otto the bus driver. Otto man. Jasper, Abe's friend with the long beard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't feel my beard. <laughs> and then Lenny, Homer and Carl's other friend. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. Uh, Wolf Castle and uh, McBain. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and there's here's another little tidbit I can't even wait on from our our Easter egg section later on is apparently if you take out all the Wolf Castle pieces throughout the years, there's a little coherent story that you can actually follow. That is masterful. Yeah. And I'm not sure if someone has I'm sure someone has pulled that. (laughs) Um, I didn't get a chance to watch, but uh, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Herman, George Bush, Judge Snyder, Eddie Rainier. Those are uh, some of the other Shearer characters. Do you remember who Eddie Rainier was? No, I don't. I don't that either. We'll Maybe uh, we got some digging to do, man. <laughs> some some in digging, digging. We have to mention the great Pamela Hayden. Uh, she does Millhouse, man. Uh, Rod Flanders, uh, Janie Powell, Jimbo Jones, Malibu Stacy, and Sarah <laughs> Wiggum. Yeah, uh, and. A couple of dearly departed cast members, uh, occasional cast members, uh, Marsha Wallace, the great Marsha Wallace yeah. from the Bob Newhart show, passed away in uh, 2013. She was Mrs. Krabappel. <sighs> I mean, what a beloved character Edna yeah. Krabappel was in so many ways. She was. They describe her in this article as sarcastic and sexy. That whole that whole um, subplot that went through multiple episodes where she was dating um, – yeah. Seymour Skinner, and then later on marries Ned Flanders. No one saw that coming. No. But the fact that this show could take steps like that and then would would commit itself to to continuing it as long as as could be and and keeping it up, you know what I mean? Oh, Rather yeah. than just being like, oh, forget about that. It doesn't matter. That that was another hallmark of the show as well. That it could it had the chops to to make big leaps like that and then keep it going without it yeah. seeming trite or or tired or anything. Absolutely. Uh, Marsha Wallace won an Emmy in 1992 for her voice work, uh, and they paid a uh, tribute to her um, in the episode Four Regrettings in a Funeral. Bart's uh, chalkboard gag at the beginning uh, said, we'll really miss you, Mrs. K. So sad. So sad. Uh, and the man who grew too much, Ned Flanders, wears a black armband uh, to mourn Edna, who, of course, took the place of his departed wife, Maude Flanders. Yeah, he's a widower twice over. Yeah. Man, that one where Maud died, that was really just a great episode. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing about The Simpsons is as silly as it was, they managed to pull the heartstrings every now and then. And it was always, they didn't do too much of it, but it was always just well-timed, you know? 
for sure. And like they could take on something like death and grief and do it like with heart, but also without making it a very special episode of The yeah, Simpsons. Yeah, it always know? felt like The Simpsons. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and of course, Phil Hartman, who uh, left us way too soon. Yeah. Uh, he did a couple of classic, classic characters uh, in Lionel Hutz and Troy McClure. Yeah. Uh, and I, I had to get a few of my favorite Troy McClure lines in here. <laughs> um, and he was very famous. If you don't know the Simpsons, Troy McClure was, uh, a, a former semi-famous actor who would pop up every now and then in, uh, kind of like school films and stuff like that. Sure. Or, um, an infomercial. Yeah. He was just like a former pretty boy actor, basically. Yeah, and his his uh, running gag was, "I'm Troy McClure, and you might remember me." Dot dot dot. Right. So here's a, here's a few of my favorites. Uh, I'm Troy McClure. You might remember me from some self help videos as "Smoke Yourself Thin" and "Get Confident, <laughs> Stupid." <laughs> uh, here's another one. Uh, <laughs> You might remember me from such driver's ed films as Alice's Adventures Through the Windshield Glass <laughs> and The Decapitation of Led- Larry Leadfoot. <laughs> and then this one. Uh, you may remember me from such educational films as 2 minus 3 equals negative fun and Firecrackers, <laughs> The Silent Killer. <laughs> Man. So good. And Attorney Lyle Hutz was just great, too. That was good. And then which one did he date? He dated... Patty or Selma? I can't remember which one. You're just, I'm mortified. Well, they're so interchangeable to me. Well, they are. One of them came out as gay, actually. Right. uh, In one of the recent seasons. So it was not that one. Right. Um, I I think it was Selma. That was a great episode. No, it would have been Patty, because Patty is the one who was engaged to Principal Skinner. Oh, that's right. Um, So I guess he was dating Patty. I just but, remember in that episode when he, he went out with her one night and then showed uh-huh. up the next day and said, you might remember me from certain dates as last night's. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, the, my, my favorite lines from that episode is, um, they're in like a, a nice restaurant and, um, Selma or no, Patty lights up a cigarette and everybody's like, Oh my gosh, she's smoking, smoking. Yeah. Somebody goes, uh, waiter, I ordered a Zima, not emphysema. <laughs> What a great line, man. Yeah. Um, so guest stars over the years, um, they have, there have been some very beloved people playing other people and then many people playing themselves. Uh, and I made a list of my favorite people playing other people. Uh, Martin Sheen played Sergeant Seymour Skinner. Uh, aka the real Seymour Skinner. Oh, that was Martin Sheen, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the great Albert Brooks played, uh, Hank Scorpio. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that was a great character. Uh, Glenn Close played Homer's mom. In a, that was so sweet. Just such a great episode. That, that one, and I think also the one where he goes and, um, tries to find what his middle, the, his, the J stands oh, for, yeah, his right. middle name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if she was in that, but like she, she's like a, she's like an off camera character because he meets like some of her old friends from back when he was right. born. Such a sweet episode. And then they all end up on, um, Peyote, I think. <laughs> in true Simpsons fashion. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Stewart played uh, number one of, in the Stonecutters episode. Uh-huh. Meryl Streep played Jessica Lovejoy, Bart's uh, love interest. Oh, yeah. Brief love interest. Uh, the late, great Johnny Cash played Homer's spirit coyote. Yeah. Remember that? Sure. Uh, remember Rodney Dangerfield as Larry Burns? <laughs> yeah. I get no esteem, <laughs> no regard either. 
Uh, Ron Taylor played uh, Bleeding Gums Murphy, uh, Lisa's sort of uh, mentor on the saxophone. Who played him? Uh, a guy named Ron Taylor. Okay. Give him his due. And Artie Ziff was played by John Lovitz. Sure. And John Lovitz played Jay Sherman, the critic, in one of the more hated episodes of all time. Oh, really? Yeah, the crossover episode where they throw a film festival in Springfield, and Jay Sherman shows up to to lead the the jury for the the film festival. I don't think I saw that one. Well, it was it was basically a vehicle to introduce America to the critic, which was now going to be on Fox after The Simpsons. And did you ever see that show, The Critic? Mm, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. It was a little schmaltzy, but I mean, it had its charms here or there. It wasn't like the worst thing anyone's ever put on TV. It certainly wasn't Simpsons caliber. But supposedly, Matt Groening was so upset about this that he made them take his name off of the oh, opening wow. credits on Holy the cow. TV screen. He was that mad about this crossover that had been like shoved down his throat by Fox executives, as the legend goes. Good for him. Sure. Um, and then, you know, they've had some legends that played themselves. Before Bob Hope passed away, he was on the show. Yeah, that was uh, a good one. <laughs> Ernest Borgnine, Robert Goulet, uh, Steve Allen. Robert Goulet swings his hello, <laughs> man. He's, he's sitting there. He's doing uh, the treehouse at Bart's treehouse. He's doing a show. Uh-huh. I don't know how he got booked there. I think Nelson maybe was his agent. And like he's swinging his microphone and the quarters are so close in the treehouse. He smacks like I think Milhouse's glasses right off his face. He's like, oh, sorry, kid. Uh, and then they I think there have been more than like 70 musicians and bands through the years. They've always loved uh, featuring bands. So uh, at the time, all the living Beatles before George Harrison passed and the Ramones and the Who and Metallica and R.E.M. and U2 and <laughs> – Aerosmith, Tom Petty, the late great Tom Petty, Lenny Kravitz, like the list goes on and on, but they've always had great musical guests. And that U2 episode, uh, that was the Garbage Man episode, right? I think so. So one of the great, there's like, this is a great illustration of just a throwaway joke on The Simpsons that just made it that much smarter, that show, right? So like Homer's trying to sneak backstage, so he dresses up like a Irish potato delivery man. Like there is such a thing, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so the joke is that this is what Homer thinks is going to get him backstage. But then the added bonus to the joke is that it actually works. Like when he shows up, the security guards like, where in the devil have you been? Like they've been waiting for the guy who delivers raw potatoes backstage at a U2 concert. <laughs> like that's just the thing, right? I love that show so much. <laughs> Uh, and finally, as far as uh, guest voices, uh, we would be uh, we would be remiss without mentioning the great Kelsey Grammer as Sideshow Bob, mm-hmm. prominent prominent character. And then they ended up getting uh, David Hyde Pierce to play Cecil, his brother, mm-hmm. and then uh, John Mahoney, all from Frasier, uh, to play uh, his father, Doctor Robert Terwilliger. Nice, so good, so so good, Chuck. All right, so let's take another break. Mm-hmm. And we're going to come back and uh, talk a little bit about these episodes and how they are put together. Stuff you should know. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. 
L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids, because let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Learning stuff with Joshua and Charles. Stuff you should know. Okay, Chuck, we're back. And you promised that we were going to talk more about The Simpsons. So go. <laughs> All right. Well, we should talk a little bit about, I mean, we can sit here and Quote lines all day long. I know. I know. I hope this isn't getting <laughs> annoying for anybody. Hopefully everybody's having as much fun as we are. No. I mean, this was bound to get super wonky. Sure. Uh, but we should talk a little bit technically about how the show is made. Hey. <laughs> uh, so here's how it starts. And the Grabster did a good job of kind of breaking this down, I think. Yeah. Uh, and also, also, I want to give a shout out to an article on The Verge called How a Simpsons Episode is Made. Yes. It, it goes into even greater detail. It's it's nuts what they do. All right. So like m- most shows, or I would say probably every show, uh, it begins in the writer's room. Mm-hmm. Uh, writers going to pitch ideas to each other and the producers. An episode will get a green light. And then a, a single writer usually, uh, sometimes they'll work in pairs, will go off and create a draft in a couple of weeks. Yeah. But that is not the end of the writing process. No, 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 no. Supposedly, the writing process is one of the most um, uh, shape-shifting yeah. p- parts of the entire process of making an episode. There's a lot of people poking at it. you got the showrunner who, in this capacity, serves as the um, script editor and the head writer. Um, you've got the actual writers, you've got the writing team, you've got the writing assistants, you've got producers who are thinking about it. You've got all these people who are thinking of the script and rewriting it and editing it that supposedly a script goes through rewrites, um, for like four to six weeks or something like that. Yeah. And like most shows operate this way. There's a lot, especially comedies, a lot of rewriting that goes on to just, I mean, they'll come down and debate, uh, a word for a couple of hours Mm -hmm. to make sure they're getting the funniest stuff they can get. Right. Um, Then what comes next is uh, the table read. And brother, you and I got really, really lucky. When was this? Four or five years ago? I think it was 2013 or 14. So here's how it went down. We had a listener uh, named Jesse write Mm -hmm. us and say, uh, she didn't work for The Simpsons, but she was in somehow. I think she had a friend. She was friends, I think, with Tom Gamble, the producer, one of oh, the okay. producers of The Simpsons. Yeah, and she said, you know, dudes, whenever you want to come out to L.A. and go to a table read, and then we were basically at the airport about an hour later. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it went down. No, we had a trip booked for some reason or another, and we went out there, and uh, we met at the, the Fox lot, and the the building, little bungalow outside The Simpsons, first of all, is just so exciting because they have – Topiaries of Simpsons characters. Yeah, first pretty of all. great in and of itself. And then the table read is a bit of a public thing. Like it's not a hundred people, but there were probably, besides the cast and uh, writing staff, an additional what twenty five people in there. 
What, of like tourists like us? Yeah. Yeah, I would say something like that. Like friends, family members. Um, Just special invitees. Like the ambassador of from Spain. Yeah. <laughs> like just just people were there and, and they were like, you, shut up, all of you. Don't make a sound. Turn off your cell phones. We'll kill your whole family if you if you say anything because this is serious business. Yeah. So there's they're all the, the people who work on the show are sitting at this big, huge, long conference table. And then the room is lined all along the outside on four walls with chairs uh, for people to just sit there quietly and uh, sit at the altar in reverence of what they're about to see. And we so the one we were there um, was a script read for the episode that became the wreck of the relationship. Right. Uh, I think Nick Offerman guest starred in it as a sea captain. But basically, Bart and Homer go off on this um, father son bonding tour, like aboard a ship. And uh, the B subplot was that while they were gone, Marge had to um, pick Homer's fantasy football team. Right. And she decided that she w- should pick all place kickers. Yeah. <laughs> and it turns out that she she was right. Um, she, like she ended up winning. But in between picking them and not knowing what she was doing and winning the whole thing, um, she ends up like trash talking with Mo and Lenny and Carl Um and it's a pretty good B subplot, actually. Yeah, and I would love to say that um, all of the voice actors are in the room together. That is not the case because everyone is busy and doing other stuff, and they've mm-hmm. got it down to a science now, so they don't all have to rub elbows. Uh, but they're, you know, calling in on the phone and they're doing the voices and stuff either via phone or in person. And uh, Matt Groening was there, though. Uh, Dan Castellaneta was there in the room. Julie Kavner was there. Julie Kavner was there. Beardley uh, Smith. Yep, Beardley Smith. And um, Pamela Hayden was there. Mm-hmm. But we got no Azaria or Shearer. Right, but they were on the phone. So, like, we were sitting there listening to them do the voices. Yeah, so they, they basically read through the script. Uh, they'll stop every now and then and make suggestions or something on a different line reading. And the, and the writers and producers are all furiously scribbling and making notes and stuff like that. Uh, and then afterward, they they finish it up, and we, we very, like a couple of six-year-olds, sheepishly grab our scripts that we get to take with us because everyone gets a script to read along, mm-hmm. and uh, and met Matt Groening. Yep. And it was surreal. It was, um, yeah, what was I think even more surreal was that he was like super nice. The nicest dude you could imagine. Like, he was, like, really nice. Like, Dan Castellaneta, like, didn't ever look up when, like, Yumi was there and she took a picture of me with Dan Castellaneta. Yeah. And I'm sitting there giving a thumbs up and uh-huh. he's, like, looking down, like, <laughs> signing my script. Yeah. It's not like he wasn't a nice guy. but no, no, no. He just no. wasn't quite as personable in person as uh, Matt Groening. But I think, like, Matt Groening, like, stood up and shook hands yeah. and was like, hey, great to meet you. And he didn't know who I was from Adam. He was just this surprisingly friendly guy. Yeah. And we, I remember telling him that we, uh. Yumi was just laughing the whole time. She was like, you guys are just hysterical. Yeah, yeah, we really were like a couple of six-year-olds. I was surprised at both of us, actually, just how quickly we were like yeah. kids. Yeah, I don't get super starstruck no. anymore. And, and this one just had me like, I was super, super nervous. Mm-hmm. But uh, I remember, I think I told him, uh, Mr. Graining, that, you know, we have a podcast and we talk about The Simpsons so much. It's almost like an additional character on our show. And he asked what the name of it was. Wrote it down, <laughs> stuff you should know on his script. And then ate that piece of paper in front of you. <laughs> and then he signed our script and he scribbled out a quick uh, drawing. He drew Bart on my script. I got Homer. 
And it says, your pal, Matt Groening. Yeah. So nice. Man, that script is like under plexiglass, under lock and key. I train Momo to kill anybody who comes anywhere (laughs) near it. It's just like a prized possession now. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, We got uh, Dan Castellaneta to sign it, uh, Julie Kavner to sign it. And I Mm -hmm. think those are the only three uh, autographs I got. But it was neat. So to us, we were just losing our minds. It was so amazing. To them, like, it was straight up work. Right. Like this is work to them. And it was nice. Like they're, they're fine, like seeing people that they're friends with who they invited sure. or whatever. But um, I read an interview with Al Jean and Al Jean said that he hates Bill Reads more than anything oh, really? else because it is real work. Uh-huh. But it's it's in this weird kind of in-between state, like letting people come watch. Yeah. I wonder whose idea that was. I don't know. But it's graining, huh? apparently a custom that they've been keeping up this whole time, despite at the very least one of the high powered um, executives in charge of the show hating it. Interesting. Yeah. I think there's lots of distractions and stuff like that. But apparently they muddle through every Thursday. Yeah. And it's. I just can't say enough. It was, this is not uh, hyperbole. It is a genuine all time life highlight. You know, it was just amazing. Agreed, Chuck. Uh, all right. So I think we've reached the, the end of part one of episode 1000, technically episode 999, right? That's a cliffhanger too. It is, man. I'm pretty, I'm pretty psyched. Like, this is not planned, Chuck. This is a genuine cliffhanger. Yeah, right in the middle of the production process. People are going to be like, I, I have to know how they make these shows. Well, just cool out, everybody. Cool out. You can wait until, uh, what, Thursday, right? Yes. For our actual official episode 1000. And in the meantime, you can get in touch with us on Twitter. I'm at Josh Um Clark and the official handle is SYSK Podcast. Charles Chuck is at, uh, Facebook dot com slash charles w chuck bryant uh there's also i'm on there somewhere you can try to find me um and then there's also an official stuff you should know one on facebook too you can send us all an email including jerry to stuff podcast at howstuffworks.com and as always hang out with us at our home on the web stuff you should know dot com 1000 for more on this and thousands of other topics visit howstuffworks.com Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.